You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge you, Eudodia, and I urge you, Suniki, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help those women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lauren, for reading that. I want to ask our youngest worshipers to go ahead and go with Miss Linda and Lauren. Lauren, if you weren't here and don't know this, Lauren is our new director of family ministries, and uh, Luke is her husband. We've already put him to work in the back. Wave your hand, Luke. Okay. Uh, make sure you take the opportunity to meet them. Um, they are they are dear brothers and sisters. I've known them for a long time, and my prayer is that you will know them for a long time and uh, as they serve this church. Well, uh, so glad that you are here. As you see, we are back in Philippians. We only have three more weeks left in this wonderful, wonderful letter. You don't want to miss the last week uh, that we look at Philippians because we're going to do something a little unique. We're actually going to do um, go through Philippians like when you got a letter uh, from Paul or from Peter or James, back in this time, what would happen? It would come to the congregation, and they would read the entire letter. And so like we did with Jonah, when we went through Jonah, we're going to do that with Philippians, and we're going to have different people lined up to read through Philippians as our final day. And, and uh, I know you might be sitting there saying, finally, we can get through Philippians. What are we doing next? Another, uh, we're going to preach through Ezekiel. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're not doing that yet. Uh, we are going to do about seven weeks uh, from May, the first Sunday in May through June, seven weeks on what healthy families look like. We're going to talk about uh, God's plan for the family, and we will see unapologetically that healthy families are in place where there are healthy churches. A healthy church grows healthy families around it. There is collateral damage when a church is not healthy and families collapse around it, and there is strength in families. The fruit of a healthy church produces healthy families. Yes, we will look at parenting. We will look at kids' roles, husbands' roles, women's roles. Um, we are going to dive into what the Scripture says about how to have a healthy family. So you are all on the publicity committee. Make sure that you tell everybody you know, hey, okay, you may not check out, may not understand the Philippian stuff, but come. We're going to spend two, almost two months on the family. Invite your friends. Invite people who are looking for a place to connect to that. That'll begin the first Sunday in May. But for now, we are in Philippians. Paul says in this text, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. And all throughout scriptures, don't we see God telling his people, especially his leaders, but all of his people, to stand firm. 
to be courageous, to not become weary in doing good things, to press on, to keep walking by faith and not by sight. We see this all throughout the scriptures. We see his commands and his imperatives to not squabble with each other, to stay focused and to live in unity. Both God's people in the Old Testament and the church we see in the New Testament, there is a push of standing firm and being united. Throughout this letter, Paul affirms the people in Philippi for being this, for doing this. He calls them his partners, his friends, his uh, people who are enduring hardships with him, people who are hanging in there with him, that are going through tough times with him. They are living courageously, and they are united. They are true partners, friends. He calls them fellow citizens. And we come to this text in Philippians where Paul is now beginning to wrap up this letter, and he's calling for his friends to remember well and to finish well, to eagerly wait for a Savior from a place where we are citizens of and to stand firm in the Lord. So, And then we come at the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4. And just so that you know, I hope you know this already, but we are the ones who put the chapters and numbers in there. Paul just wrote the letter or dictated the letter, and there weren't numbers and chapters in it. And so what looks like a break from chapter 3 is not really a break at all. It's a chapter 3 into chapter 4 where he says to stand firm in everything. And then we have this strange situation that he points out and he calls out two women he says i urge iodia and i urge Sintiki to agree in the lord yes i also ask you true partners to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side so it's an odd interruption we think it seems like It's odd, but really it is an appropriate illustration, isn't it, of the modern day church? That with all the good and all the things that are going on, there's infighting. There's people that disagree that, I mean, let's be honest, we struggle to always be diligent. We struggle to always stand firm in the faith. We struggle and we get off course and we lose sight of the beautiful things that have been promised to us. We lose sight of the, the beautiful things Christ has done. We, lose, we forget the amazing things that God is doing and we forget what is promised that will be coming. And so what happens when we do this, Christians, instead of standing firm, we sort of lose our balance, don't we? We lose our balance. We get off course. The wheels sort of fall off when the circumstances around us begin to squeeze us and all the things that are happening begin to sort of challenge us to forget church, to forget each other. Eventually, some will ditch their faith. They'll go off, they'll leave the area and other temptations will come and and their anger and their frustrations with, each, with, with their life will eventually turn on each other. And we see here a little bit of the unbalance that's going on in this church, this church of Philippi, so much that Paul calls them out. We'll get to that in a minute. 
Why are we like this? Why, if, we, if we know God has done all this and we, we come to church and we hear the pastor, we hear these songs, we're like, yes, I believe that. But then by Wednesday, the wheels are falling off. We're not standing, we're falling. Why? Turn with me, if you have your copy of the scriptures, back a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's what I read earlier. We're going to read a little bit of chapter 5. So this is Paul, again, writing to another church in Corinth. And we'll see a little bit of why it is we get rickety and off balance. And here's what Paul says. I read it earlier, but just to sort of recap, he says at the end of chapter 4, verse 18, so we do not lose focus, so, I'm sorry, we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal for we know chapter 5 verse 1 for we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed we have a building from God an eternal dwelling in the heavens it's not made with hands indeed we groan in this tent We groan in this tent. Paul understands, he's sort of telling the Corinthians and we're telling each other when we come together to church that there is a reality of groaning while we're in this tent. He uses the word tent to describe this current life on earth. A tent is temporary, is it not? It's temporary. Indeed, we groan in this tent. We desire to put on our heavenly dwelling. So now he moves from tent to to close, since we are, since we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent. We're, he uses the word, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed. Another translation may say, fully clothed, to sort of insinuate, perfectly clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. He goes on. Now, the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we're always confident. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Why do we get off balance? Why do we fail to stand firm? God wants us to learn something important from these letters to the Corinthians, these letters to the Philippians and others. Paul mentions two very important things, that we are citizens of two different places. We are here on this present earth, and true followers of Christ are also citizens of a future home in heaven. And because of this difficult, beautiful reality, it is common. Listen, church, I want to free you up. It is common that we groan. Say, Jason, wait wait a minute. Didn't you just spend a whole month talking about not complaining? Yes. And in our small group, I don't know about your small group, but our small group, we talked about, hey, isn't it natural to kind of not like the way that things are? And shouldn't we not 
not like that. I mean, it became this really weird argument. I just said, just wait, it's coming. We're going to hear that we have permission to groan. In fact, it's normal and it's natural to be groaning about how things are. And that's what we are seeing here. Wouldn't this describe us, people who groan, who get off track sometimes, who lose sight of what is waiting for us in eternity? And we come to this text, we see these two women are called out, and the reality is this, that we groan. Life produces real, frustrating situations. Amen? How many of you live with somebody else? A few of you don't want to admit it. They're sitting right next to you. I mean, come on. How many of you are in a home or a tent or something with other people? You're going to groan. How many of you currently at this point are living by yourself? You're, yeah, a few of you are. You're going to groan. doesn't matter who's around you. Our body aches. Our heart, our emotions ache. Our minds ache. Our relationships ache. Our families hurt. They hurt us. Work is hard. Relationships are difficult. Notice in both these texts, in the Corinthians and in Philippians, Paul does not dismiss the reality that it's natural to groan. It's natural to not like that these things seem to be off. So, what are we to do? And how are we to groan? And that's what Paul's talking about here. Well, there's two ways of groaning. There's groaning without hope, and there's groaning with hope. Paul is after the church, and I am after our church, that we would groan with hope. That's what we're going to look at today. First of all, what does groaning without hope look like? We see a little of it when Paul calls out these ladies when we get bogged down and we forget the promises of Christ, the power of Christ, we begin to focus on what we don't have, what we don't like, what we don't get, what we don't appreciate. In this text, we, we see Iodia and Syntyche are in conflict. We don't really know what the conflict is. We know that it's important enough for Paul to make them famous. Imagine getting this letter. You don't know what it says, and Iodia's sitting there, and Syntyche's across the room, because they're not sitting next to each other, I'm sure, and they're like, oh, this is great. Yeah, citizenship in heaven. What? Did he just call me out? Did he just say my name? Just me? Oh, good. Called her out, too. Good. It's not just me. I mean, this is like something's going on. Now, we know what it's not. We know it's not a doctrinal issue, or Paul would have really gone after that, and he doesn't do that. He call, He says that they are faithful co-laborers and their names are in the book of life so we know it's not a salvific issue we know that they're saved we know they're a part of the church because he asked the church to help these sisters so it's not an issue that they're constant habitual troublemakers that they need to be kicked out of the church or they need to be questioned whether they're heretics or not it's just something that's spreading, that's causing these very respected women, these revered women, these leaders in the church, it's enough for Paul to hear about it all the way in prison and to say, okay, you're off. You're not standing firm. 
And if you don't fix this, then the influence won't be great. Somehow these women have gotten off track and they seem to be probably majoring on something very, very minor. And they've lost their focus. So what's the big deal? I mean, women squabble in the church all the time, right? Amen? i just see it if y'all would say that. Men squabble in the church all the time. They just do it differently. Then what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. I want to make sure we get that. If you are a guest with us, or if you are an unbeliever right now and you haven't chosen to follow Christ, I want to say to you on behalf of churches everywhere that allow squabbling, I'm sorry. We should not allow it. And today we're going to look at why it is we accept it. And why it is we settle for it. It's so embarrassing for these two ladies, I'm sure. And it's so embarrassing to be called out. And the deal is we, we are reminded that when we groan without hope, it looks foolish. Here's why we groan without hope. And here's what groaning without hope looks like. Really, what it boils down to is when we groan without hope, it means we are looking for gold on this earth. We're looking for a fool's gold. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are looking for earthly treasures. You know, the riches, the satisfaction that comes from this world. You know, that perfect family. House hunting for the perfect house, the perfect yard. I can't, I'm going to do all this work. I want, the, I want the notoriety of all that I can get from my neighbors to look at my perfect roses. We've grown without hope when we are constantly chasing the better car, the better friends, the better, yes, family, the better wife, the better husband, the better church, the better things. We look and we want something perfect on this earth, and it's easy to do. I mean, click on any device, your remote on your TV, your phone or your computer, you click on any of it, and immediately we're bombarded with an invitation to look for something better, right? Earthly treasures are promised to us. And we groan without hope when we go after those things and make them paramount in our life. We groan without hope by looking for earthly rewards, don't we? The praise of man. We begin to expect that right here, right now, we can have everything that's promised to us. Everything right here, right now, we're told by famous people that we deserve the very, very best. And so when the very best doesn't come to us from the very people that promised it to us and said we deserve it, we groan with no hope. We're not getting rewarded for our work. Our boss changed his mind. Our, our, my wife stopped loving me. Our children don't respect me. I mean, what these earthly rewards we're expecting, and it causes us to groan without hope. And, and also our, the earthly victories that we chase. Oh, I don't understand why Christians argue about politics online. When our candidate or our bill doesn't pass that we like, 
we think. We're expecting this victory on earth when our athletic careers are falling short, when something happens at our job, all these the job status changes. Nothing wrong with advancing or having this ambition, right? We should want the best in our politics. We should want the best in our job, the best in athletics, the best at school. We should strive for these things. But to put our hope in them as a source of joy, it's chasing earthly victories. And this is normal. This is what groaning without hope looks like. This is, we should aspire for better and excellence, but to groan when we don't get them is to put our hope in the world. Instead, Paul in this text in Corinthians, in this text in Philippians, he's saying, as you groan, groan with hope. Meaning, look past the earthly gains to what is coming. I love this. I love looking back in the Corinthian passage. Let's just think about what he's saying here. Paul says to them, we don't focus on what we see. You you see your wife. You see your husband. You see your kids. You see the imperfections, right? No, we focus on what we don't see. We We see it but we don't focus on it. We see it, but we don't fixate on it. We look past it. We look deeper. We know that these tents are being torn. Anybody feeling the tearing of your tent this week? Your physical body? Your family makeup? The community you live in? Have you you seen some imperfections, some stains of some sort? So, Paul goes on to say, we groan while we're in this tent. We're burdened as we are because we don't want to be unclothed, but fully clothed. And let me just translate that for you. We want perfection. And we hear that God is promising perfection. We want that. And guess what? There was a day where God put man in perfection. And from the first sin, we've been groaning all the way until the day that he brings it and makes it all new again. So there is a groaning with hope. So Paul, going back to our text in Philippians, look at how we started. When Lauren read, she read from verse 20. And before... He calls out Iodia and Syntyche, and before he tells the church what they should be doing, and before we get into chapter 4 where he talks about rejoicing and fixing your mind on other things, he reminds them our citizenship is in heaven. We wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body there's a groaning now but we have this hope that's coming stand firm stand firm don't groan without hope groan with hope stand firm first of all in his promises how do we live while groaning with hope well first you we must stand firm in his promises 
Friend, there are so many promises in Scripture. How many times you've heard this called the book of promise? It tells us where we've been. It tells us how we are. And it tells us where we're going. This is a book of promise. And there are so many different promises that we can read about here about all sorts of things. But when we're talking about standing firm and, and groaning with hope, Paul is referencing a certain set of promises. The promises that refer to heavenly citizenship. Here's a few, okay? Some of the promises by Christ about heavenly citizenship. First of all, we have a king, and our king has a kingdom. It's a promise from Jesus in John 18. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. We have a king, that's a promise, and he has a kingdom. That's good news. That's a promise. And we have a citizenship in his kingdom. We see it in this text. We see it also in Luke where Jesus says, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, let me just unpack that a little bit. The disciples were sent out, and they came back to give a report to Jesus, and they're telling Jesus, hey, all these demons, they were submitting to us, and like, wow, we're seeing, what? Success on earth. And Jesus being the good leader that he is, says, yeah, you are awesome. That's not what he says. Don't rejoice in this. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in that, like he's pointing them to heaven. You have a king who has a kingdom. You have citizenship in his kingdom. We see that in Hebrews, and we see it in Revelations, and we see it here in this text in Philippians, we saw that in Corinthians. And one day, our king will return from there. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. There's coming a day that our Christ will return from the kingdom. That's what Paul's doing here when he says our citizenship is in heaven. We wait for a Savior from there. Stand firm in the promises that our king has a kingdom. Stand firm in the promises our citizenship is in his kingdom, and that our king is coming for us and our fellow saints will be there. This is so good. This is a groaning with hope. We see this text in Hebrews chapter 12. We see it all throughout the Gospels that there is a, there's a promise that those we love are there. Don't wait for the average funeral to remind you of that. Paul's not waiting for that. He's reminding them that right here. He will transform your body. 
He will perfect it. He is coming to do that work. This is what groaning with hope looks like, and it hits us at different times when we need this promise, right? For me, it happened this week in my garage. I'm going to put up stuff. I'm all by myself in the house, and some of the tools that I'm putting up are my dad's tools that my mom gave me, and it just hits me. Wasn't expecting it. Wasn't planning on it. On my little loud Bose thing in my garage, Phil Wickham singing about heaven, and I lost it. Putting up tools, doing a guy thing, and tears start coming down. So, Jason, if you would have been using the tools, maybe. Anyway, I was putting up tools, and I groaned. I don't like pain. I don't like losing somebody. I don't like this, but there's a kingdom with a king that I'm a citizen of, that my dad's a citizen of, and someday I'm seeing him again, and it's going to be great. We have an inheritance there. First Peter, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have these promises. These are promises about the kingdom the king he's coming our loved ones will be there who followed christ we have an inheritance that is unfading there how many of you have experienced the tension that comes with families trying to divide up a will or inheritance or you get to a house and you're looking for space you try to get your own space and this and then you're you're starting to divvy up there's disunity and this is mine and no that's mine and you got to the microwave before me and all this kind of stuff happens this groaning that happens well guess what there is space for you reserved in heaven forever that is a promise it's not a tent Also, we know that our reward is there. Matthew 5, Jesus talks about this. Your reward is in heaven. And then lastly, we have the promise about the kingdom of God that our treasure is there. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6 about this. Oh, Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You're going to groan, and you're going to groan without hope. When you groan without hope, what that means is you're going to go after treasures on earth. Don't do that. Why? Well, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. If you have property, if you have stuff and you give it to somebody and they break it or somebody takes it, you know that's a frustration, right? Jesus says, don't put your value in that. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal it. Let me translate that. No one can touch what God has preserved for you. It's a promise. It's how locked his kingdom is. That's how secure his kingdom is. That's how good and pure his kingdom is. 
Our treasure is there. Our reward is there. Our inheritance are there. Our loved ones are there. Our king is there. So though we do not live there yet, we live under it. We live within it in this heavenly realm. The Holy Spirit is within us. We're under the rule of heaven. We have a cause to help people get to heaven. And so with hope, we groan for the already but not yet. Right? This is what groaning with hope looks like. It's a risk, isn't it? It's a risk to cling to anyone's promises. As we watch the world's quest for earthly treasures, earthly rewards, earthly victories, we risk a lot. We risk getting mocked for not going after those things. We risk getting made fun of. We risk getting overlooked, mistreated. I would say that hoping and standing on the promises of anybody is is risky business. It's dangerous. A player commits to a college based on the coach's promise. The coach leaves. Children gain confidence in their family, and the dad leaves. Patients listen with intensity to doctors' expertise and authority. They put their stock in what the words of the doctor say, and then all of a sudden the doctor says something like, there's nothing else we can do. Hoping and listening and banking our joy on the promises of somebody is risky. What Paul calls us to is placing our promises on the one who conquered death. We stand firm by standing in his promises. We stand firm by standing in his power. This is everything. It's not just about Easter. Last week, we were reminded of the gift of the resurrection. We are reminded that this event proves the authority of God. All that Jesus said, all the prophets said, it was the resurrection that said, yes and amen. We are done. You can trust me. I have conquered death. The resurrection secures something for us. You know what that is? Hope. Without it, there is no hope. Just words. And in verse 21 in Philippians, as Paul is closing out this letter, he reminds them that Christ will transform the body, that's the promise, and he'll do it by the power that enables him to, be, to have everything subject to him. This is such good news for us. Our lowly condition, our imperfections around you, when you see them, you go, That's imperfect. I don't like that. We groan. Ah, there's coming a day. The resurrection reminds us there's coming a day where this imperfection won't be around anymore. And it'll be good. It gives us hope. It helps us to stand firm. So we come back to these ladies. It seems that they have turned their struggles, their groanings, onto each other. And they need reminding. They need direction. So Paul tells the church, Philippians, help these sisters. I love this. He does not say, 
Oh, you better judge them. They're jacked up. Cannot believe we let them lead anything. No, I love this. I urge Yodia and I urge and take you to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partners, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at Messiah along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Church, help them, point them, direct their steps. That's what we do here. How do we help people be unified with each other? Real simply, and we'll close with this. We remind each other. Look up. There's something bigger. There's something more grand. His name is Jesus. Look up. We remind each other to look ahead. There's something beyond what this current imperfection is. The perfect is coming. Right now, there's no perfection. The perfect is coming. So look up at Christ and look ahead to what's coming. And we remind each other, look around. Look at the work that is being done. Sintiki, Yodia, I don't know what the issue is, but I can see that it's probably like, well, we're not doing this great. Well, yeah, Kind of sucks. That's right, I said that. Sorry, parents. But that's the reality. We groan. This is bad. But let's look up. Let's, let's look forward. And let's look around at what is working, what is happening. And let's be a part of that. Let's not turn on each other. Let's hope in the promises while we groan. Let's hope in his power while we groan. And let's celebrate it. Let me ask you. Who are you at odds with at this season of your life? Family member, co-worker, member in this church body? Who are you at odds with? Where's their tension? What's happening? Are, let me ask you, are, are you really looking up? Are you really looking forward? Are you really looking around at the good? Or is it just the negative? You're fixing your eyes on over and over again. You can't stop looking at what's not being done well. Are you expecting a perfect situation, a perfect relationship, perfect programming, perfect family, perfect bosses, perfect work environment? Stop it. You know why you should stop it? All of those things are filled with imperfect people. Don't look at them to be perfect. Look at the one who is perfect. Don't look at what they're promising you to be perfect. Look at the future of what the perfect one has promised you. You don't look at all the imperfections around you. Look at what the perfect God, what the perfect promises is doing around you. And we'll get to this next week. I'm just giving you a little tease. Rejoice. Lift up your drooping hands and your heavy head and quit looking down and look up and celebrate and rejoice. The King is coming. And so as you groan, groan. He's coming.
unbeliever. If you're here and you don't believe in Christ, you're kind of kicking the tires of this faith and you don't know what's going on, I invite you to consider what your future without God's power and without God's promises looks like. Compare it. Look at what is coming your way. Look at all the imperfections around you and what they're promising and ask, is is there more hope in that or is there more hope in believing in the words of Christ and the promises of Christ? What's going to help you not to groan? Is it hard work? Well, what if someone works harder? Is it a lot of money? What if somebody has more? Consider Christ. He came to save you from a future with no promise and no power. And if you have questions about that, at the end of our service, come talk to me. I'll be standing up here at the front. Ron and Mary will be in the family room, one of our elders, and they'll be in the family room. You can go talk to them and say, I, I need to know this Jesus and these promises. That's what we're here for. For the rest of us, believers, always look up, look ahead, look around, groan with hope. And if you struggle with that, ask for help. That's what he tells the Philippians to do for these ladies. Help them. Let's pray. We're about to sing a song to celebrate the promises and the power of God. I'm going to read you some of the words of the song so that you can just immediately start rejoicing. Father, my foes are many. It seems like they they rise up against me when I least expect it. But I'm going to hold my ground. I'm not going to fear the war. I'm not going to fear the storm. Why? Because help is on the way. God, you won't delay. You are my refuge. You are my strength. Always, I will not fear. Your promise is true. You will come through. You showed us with the resurrection. You will always come through. Though troubles and chaos surround me and are abounding, my soul will find its rest in you. So I look up. I look ahead. And help me to see what is good around me. And when I can't, God, give me the courage. Give us the courage to ask for help. Thank you.